Coast Church Charlotte. All right. Um, thank you all for joining. We love you today. I pray you're having a week of spiritual growth. I pray that you are uh, enjoying uh, the blessings of God in your life. If nothing else, you woke up in your mostly right mind and you had beautiful weather. Amen. Uh, so if there's no pain in your body, uh, you are blessed. There's a lot of rich people in the world that trade all their money for your lack of pain. So um, let gratitude live in your life and in your heart. Uh, thankful for all of you. I love all of you. Um, looking forward to Sunday. My wife and I enjoyed our uh, Sunday off and we uh, have nothing but good things to say about our pastoral staff that stepped in and handled uh, the Sundays for us. So it was a great, uh, great weekend for us. And let's go to the wonderful, amazing gospel, gospel of Mark. And we are going to read where we are at in Mark chapter number 10. And I'm going to read a little bit longer passage today because I, I'm trying to do somewhat better in not getting bogged down in every single detail and wonderful reflection that is very much an expression of my study style and my personality, uh, but can be, I am told by some people whose names will not be mentioned, but they have beautiful blonde hair, that it can be a bit tedious. And so we're going to move along in a most rigorous manner. Are you ready? Uh, Jesus has just watched the rich young ruler walk away sorrowful. And he says to his disciples, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished. Notice that that verb. They were astonished at his words. Um, if I were going to get bogged down in this, I would remind all of you that in Jewish religious culture, there was no uh, there, there was no negativity associated to wealth and riches. Uh, it was a sign of God's favor and blessing. And then here Jesus comes along and he turns uh, how many centuries of Jewish inheritance kind of on its head and then offers this rather surprising statement that if you actually have riches, it's, it's not that you're favored of God. Um, it's that you have some additional um, difficulties that is perhaps different than other people uh, would have. The disciples were astonished. Jesus answered them and answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Notice there's a slight detail added here from those who have to those who trust in riches. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Notice they did not say that, oh, well, then how can any rich people be saved? They saw beyond that, and they understood the intent of Jesus's words, uh, and they broadened the consequences of what Jesus had said. They didn't just take it at a surface level. They saw the intent. So if you want to understand better what Jesus is saying up here, it helps to see how the disciples reacted. They were there. They heard the vernacular. We read this through the um, work of translators and historical recorders, um, scribes, 
Jesus looked at them and said, verse 27, with men, it is impossible. Now he's not answering whether or not uh, rich people can be saved, although that is definitely in the chain. He is answering what they've just asked. How can anyone be saved? Not just rich people. And he said, with man is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Now, Peter's still wrestling with the consequences. Um, if people can't be saved without leaving everything, look, Lord, we, we've done this. We've left everything. And then Jesus, verses 29, 30, and 31 reminds them that no one has ever given anything up for the kingdom of God. No one has given anything up for the call of God that will not be repaid a whole hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And not only that, we often don't know who has given and who has not given. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Uh, let me read at 29. I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life which is very interesting because he just said all of these things lands and houses and yes brothers and sisters make it hard to go to heaven <laughs> and then he just said if you've given any of that up it'll be given back to you in this life and the life to come do you see how um spiritual concepts always stretch us um, as we learn a spiritual concept the concept the understanding the biblical insight the spiritual truth has a longer reach than the world in which we live. And so oftentimes when we try to apply it in the limits of in this world, it stretches us in surprising ways. That is exactly what you're seeing here. You're seeing, number one, hard for a rich man to go to heaven. Uh, they need explanation, being astonished. He says, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter heaven? easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they said, good night. If that's the case, none of us are going to be saved. And he says, with God, all things are possible. Peter says, okay, back to the original subject. We've given all this up. And then Jesus says, no man's given any of this up, that it will not be repaid. In the accounting of God, not in the calculation of men, but in the accounting of God, it'll be repaid. And that repayment will not just be in the future. It'll also be uh, now. This is um, a very, uh, this is a perfect example of how the scripture stretches us. Let's continue. What happens next? Verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And then he took the 12 aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. This is the third prophecy given to them. This is not the first prophecy. We read that a few weeks back. This is not the, that was right before Mount Transfiguration. This was not the second prophecy. That was right before receive the children, do not offend the little one. This is the third prophecy of Mark. Jesus giving insight to his disciples of what must come. They don't want to do it. They're dragging their feet. They're protesting. Even uh, Peter is 
embarrassing of himself. They don't want to do it. He says this, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So uh, this passage can be easily read through as gospel or we can consider it we can let it weigh upon us so let's try to take it in the order of uh, understanding in the manner that a student might would take it if the student was simply uh, reading through the the interest points um, the teaching moments Um, the first thing that I think is often talked about but I want to add to a little bit is the statement in verse number 25 it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of god what is this saying is it literal is it rhetoric is it literal is it poetic um i will give you the short answer um we're not we don't exactly know um i think the safest thing to do is to consider it in all its potentials and see if there's something to learn from all of them, rather than saying this is the only way to interpret it. Um, so let's start first. If we read it literally, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So what Jesus would say then is that unless God does this, none of you are going to be saved. Is that a true statement? I would say yes. I would say there is a profound teaching right with that statement. If you take it literally, there is insight, there is principle, there is revelation. Uh, without God doing it, none of us are going to be saved. Without Christ covering our sins, there us going to be saved. Without the promise of new life, new hope, new joy, none of us are going to be saved, do you see? Uh, and so that's the literal. Now, if we take it poetically, lots of lots of scholars and commentators and even translators think it should be taken poetically, and here's the reason why. Um, the largest animal in the region, the largest animal that the people knew was a camel. And the smallest hole that the people knew, there was no hole smaller in the imagery of the people, the time, the technological development where poor people had bronze and iron, but not necessarily steel. Steel was high military technology, much more rare, um, much less available. Um, But they did very much have the inheritance of the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. And so, yes, you see here this, this poetic image of the largest animal in their uh, culture passing through the smallest hole in their technology uh, what they could do so you have the imagery of the Lord saying um, this 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 is this is not just literally impossible but to use this in a poetic rhetoric you're not going to save yourself if I don't go to Jerusalem there's going to be no salvation. If I am not the Passover lamb, there's going to be no Passover. If there is not innocent blood shed, there's going to be no remission of sin. And so 
If you see it that way, then absolutely. It still speaks to our understanding and the truth derived from it is the same. Now, uh, perhaps it's a translation issue. Um, and it may be, I'll tell you two reasons why it may be a translation issue. Um, on the first case, he may have been talking about the small uh, guard gate into Jerusalem that was man-sized, but the only way to get a camel through was to take all of their burden off and hobble them and actually get them to crawl through, hobbled. Uh, then they could come through that gate. Um, and a lot of people say that has to be it because Jesus wants people to wants them to give everything away. But giving everything away is not a universal. It is directed at certain places and certain times to certain people. Other people were quite successful, quite wealthy um, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, what Jesus was consistent is in uh, rebuking any type of an immoral uh, possession uh, or path to wealth. But take, for example, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was well known in the early church, a very successful, a wealthy man. Uh, take, for example, the growth of the New Testament church. Uh, powerful uh, men and even rich widows were uh, a part of that New Testament church. And we would not have what we have today if there had not been people who could facilitate it, do you see? Uh, Jesus would not have come out of a tomb if they hadn't had a tomb to put him in. Do you see? Um, the Romans didn't put him in a tomb. The Romans threw him into a, a field of offal like with a slain animal, the guts of a slain animal. To go into a tomb and to come out of a tomb, there had to be a tomb available. Who could afford tombs? Well, now you understand. So uh, this would say, this interpretation would say that a rich person has to give away everything or they're not going to make it into heaven. Um, if the Bible had a consistent teaching of that, then we would have to ask ourselves, do we want to listen and obey the Bible? And if we did, then we would have that consistency. But we don't have that consistency. In fact, in the next very next verse, the Lord promises to restore that which we have given up in some way through God's knowledge and spiritual principle, not in a human calculus. It's not like you can put a blessing spreadsheet together and tell God he owes you something. That's not going to work. Um, in fact, you can read more about that in, I believe it's Luke 17, where there's a parable of a servant who just does what he's supposed to do. And Jesus asks his followers, should we thank him for doing what he was supposed to do? Uh, in other words, uh, God doesn't owe us anything. <laughs> more, on, more on that another time. Uh, but the point being is the second possible mistranslation um, is the word for animal is the same word in this Aramaic this is being written in as uh, what we might think of as cable. It's the same word. They, they, they had the same usage. Uh, a cable would be a very thick rope used to secure, um, say, a, a vessel, to moor a vessel to a dock or something like that. Uh, you could think of that as a cable. It's the exact same word as a uh, camel in the, in the same way that all languages have multiple uh, usages and definitions of words. Um, so if hopefully that doesn't bore you too much, but it's, it's fascinating to be a serious student of the scripture and to, to, to take it seriously and try to understand either one of those could have been um, in some way the translators who came later uh, misunderstood that maybe um, a thick cable going through the eye of a needle would 
perhaps make more associative logic than a camel. But the point is, either way, I think there is an element of the impossible to it. Do you see? There's an, an element of the impossible to it. Is there anything that would encourage us to uh, see it as impossibility? And did the disciples get it right when they said, my goodness, then who can be saved? You see, they take their reaction gives us insight into the meaning of Jesus. Well, if that's the case, nobody can be saved. And then Peter falls into this justification. Have I done enough? Have I, have I done enough? One of the most frustrating things that zealous Christians can do can be to fall into this habit of trying to do enough. Um, it is a trap because, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to be ugly, but there is no such thing as enough when you think that we, we're going to repay the one who gives us eternal life, pays our debt of sin. And gives us access to his presence. There is no enough. The parable of the man who um, he was forgiven the equivalent of some like eighty million dollars, and he wouldn't forgive the the servant who owed him eighty dollars and had him thrown. That's aimed at us. There's no way we can pay God back for what He's done for us. So it becomes a trap. And you can see the frustration in Peter. Well, we've done, we've done, we've done, we've given, we've given, and the Lord won't let him stand on his self-justifying ground that he's done enough. And the Lord basically says to him this, uh, God's not going to owe you anything. Don't think you've earned salvation. Let's stop for a minute. And he stops them in their travels. And he says, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. And the son of man is going to be slain, but he's rising up on the third day. Do you guys see the, the, the brilliance, the, the scriptural uh, amazing, it's just awesome, of how they are wrestling with these issues. This is the third prophecy. And Jesus, at each case, he's given three of what's going to happen. The disciples are, in each case, placed in a context of understanding. Jesus says, I'm going to be killed. What's the first thing that happens? Mount Transfiguration. Don't let yourselves be deceived that because I'm slain, I'm not who I say I am. And so that moment maybe was something to prophecy. Maybe it was something to insight to the disciples. Maybe it was even something of confirmation in Jesus's life who in his flesh is seeking to please his father, the eternal spirit. This wrestling of limits and no limits. Do you see? Powerlessness and power. Mortal and immortal. This tension. Something is answered in that first prophecy. What's the second prophecy? I'm going. And there's the issue of the children. Don't keep the children away. As if to say, I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's not just for you. Bring these children to me. No, they don't have a sense of what's going on. It's for them too. Don't keep them away from me. What did he just say? I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Oh, don't keep these children away from me. Don't keep these children away from me. This is for them. The kingdom of God is for them. The promises of God are for them. The blessings of God are for them. Don't, don't. In fact, if you offend one of these little ones, it'll be worse for you. You might would rather a millstone tied around your neck. Don't. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Bring these children. This is for everybody. And here's the third one. 
how can anyone be saved? Now, notice the shift, and I love it. I just, I, you guys know how much I love the scripture, and I get chills even talking about it. Um, here's the reality. In the first two lessons, he tells them he's going, and then the lesson comes. Do you see? First two. First he tells them, then the lesson comes. In the third one, the lesson comes, and he stops them and tells them one more time. He reverses the order, do you see? What's the third lesson? The third lesson is exactly this. How? My God, that was a good man. He walked away. You made it so hard for him that he had to give everything away. You you set an impossible standard for him. And what's the lesson? How can any of us be saved? And Jesus says, okay, here's the last lesson. I'm going to Jerusalem. Do you see? I hope you see. I'm going to Jerusalem. And I will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn me to death. They will deliver me to the Gentiles, the Romans. I'll be mocked. I'll be scourged. I'll be spit on. And they're going to kill me. How's anybody going to be saved? If a good guy like that can't make it, kept the law from his... How is anyone can be saved? They're going to scourge me. They're going to beat me. They're going to betray me. How is any of this possible? Well, let me tell you how. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. Oh, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. On the third day, I am going to rise again. The whole lesson here of the challenges of this world is bigger than just wealth or poverty. Um, I do believe people who live in poverty have a the potential of living closer to the edge of their uh, abilities. They're, 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 they come to the end of themselves very quickly. If you have a lot of money, it takes you much longer to come to the end of yourself and stop trusting in yourself. When a billionaire gets sick, he doesn't go to the doctor, have a hard conversation with the doctor and accept it. What does he do? He goes to the doctor, finds out, then doesn't want to believe it, finds the best in the world, the best three in the world, goes, uses his private jet, flies into there, goes to the Mayo Clinic, goes to the, he takes him a lot longer to come to the fact that I'm going to die than it does the person who couldn't afford all that. They had to accept it. Um, the lack of places us closer to the edge of need. It, it does. But the downside of it is that we have no resources to actually do a work for God that is beyond our own need in the moment. The poor can't send offerings to the mission field. Well, they, they can live closer to their need. or They have the advantage of, let me say it differently, I don't like that. Um, they live closer to the cutting edge of when faith is the only answer they have. But there's something that I think is a lesson here that I want all of us, starting with me, to be aware of. Um, 
the Lord res- the Lord doesn't just give us a mission. The Lord resources us. Does that make sense? Um, the Lord prepares us. The Lord doesn't ask you to do something that's uh, essentially. He doesn't. It's it. It doesn't set you up to fail in the manner of a malevolent master. He, like um, an eagle, stirs up his nest. He he waits until you have the capacity, but the fear is too high. He stirs up your nest. He makes your life uncomfortable. All life is change. I get that. You get that. We have to live with that. We have to accept that. Um, God stirs up our nests. He does. Um, sometimes that gives clarity. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, your careers, your job, your health, your family, all of that is in flux. But there's something I believe that is in the story that is hope to all of us relatively wealthy Americans. If you're in America, <laughs> most of the world thinks you're rich. Now you can feel sorry for yourself and, you know, suck your thumb and whatnot. And we're all, we all do it. And we're all, but compared to the world, we are pretty stinking blessed. Uh, I'll thank you for that loud. Amen. <laughs> um, is there any hope for us rich first worlders? Are we too caught up in our distractions? Perhaps. Do we need to learn how to stop trusting our stuff? Yes. When we trust in riches, we play a trick on ourselves as though things speak to the realm of the spirit and possessions has a vote in the realm of the mortal and immortal. None of those things matter. They're all going to perish. The best thing that we can do is like those blessed individuals in the Bible, have something and offer it. Have something and offer it. I don't, I have this. I don't trust it. I mean, I don't trust in it. Perhaps I can offer it. Uh, consider Mary Magdalene, perhaps Mary Magdalene. We don't know exactly who it was, but most, a lot of people think it was her. She has one thing that she has saved up, and that's this this valuable incense. That was, um, it was an investment. It was an investment. It was represented uh, like a couple, if I remember correctly, a, a, a year or two's wages of savings. So that would be like us, the average person, average household in America makes 50 something thousand dollars a year, maybe 57 if I remember right. Um, and that's 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 pretty much the average for households. Uh, so if you had something, so some, maybe worth $100,000, $150,000, just to put it in a modern inflation calculated context. Um, and she she gives it. And the Lord says this will be spoken of because he was not anointed, but she anointed him. His feet were not washed. They snubbed him. She washed his feet. And what they held back begrudgingly of that was of little value water, God offered prophetically and that of which was great value incense to do the same thing. And Jesus said, because of this, 
the, what this woman has done will be told and preached everywhere. Um, to have something valuable, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, um, don't, don't give your, the tomb away, uh, Joseph. Um, you know, that's your family tomb. Um, you're breaking the place, your family place. You're giving this stranger a burial in your family, where your family is. Uh, is because that's how tomb systems worked in that age, that age. Very probable that it was a family um, uh, area for him or something like that. And and he gives it. He has no thought. Um, consider all of the the wealthy, um, uh, not all of them, but one or two of the wealthy uh, widows in the New Testament church who they had this big house. Their husbands passed. Very common in the Roman Empire because of the huge age disparity. Um, between uh, men and uh, wives in that time it was very common for a man at his in his apex of years 50 to be married to a very young woman because marriages were political and wealth uh, matchups um, and so these these women would there's a lot of this type of a scenario and they say look uh, nobody has a place big enough for us to meet um, y'all come here y'all come have church here Paul doesn't preach the first time there if you don't sell this house and give it away what does Paul do we have a place to have church so here's my takeaway without God without Calvary without him rising on the third day there ain't none of us getting saved no wealthy no poor that you're not the, the, the advantage, I believe, and this is me speaking, um, I believe the advantage of poverty is that you live closer to the edges, perhaps the bleeding edges of your faith. Um, and as you have more, the more you get to pretend that you're in control and you see the specialist and you have the insurance and, I, you know, more and bigger barns and heaven laughs. Um, I think the lesson to take away is the lesson the apostles immediately got they were there we can learn from their reaction well then my god how can anybody be saved and uh, the lord says yeah you got a point there but with god all things are possible so i want to um, give you a chance uh to ask any question um that that if you know how I, I I like to open it up. This is a, a difficult subject, um, particularly the issue of uh, giving and wealth and the like, um, because our society has made uh, such a criticism uh, of the church relative to giving and money and the like. And to be honest. Uh, the church historically has not covered itself with honor in the managing of these things. Um, so if there is any questions uh, in this regard, um, I would, I would be glad to, to try to answer them. If they are too uh, in depth, I just would give you an opportunity to ask them at some later time um, or deal with it. Another, another lesson. But um, I very much want to emphasize the takeaway that the disciples had, which is, my God, how is anybody going to be saved? And the Lord says, with God, all things are possible. Oh, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm rising up again. The hope of Calvary is greater than the limitations of the flesh. The promise of Christ's victory 
is greater than the burdens that we all carry in our lives, the fears that we all deal with in our lives. The work that Christ has done is greater. We cannot fall into the trap of trusting in security of possessions and wealth. That's a lesson that's in the story. Uh, nor can we fall into the trap of being quite pleased with how much we have given and feel as though God owes us something because, you know, we left all Peter says to follow you. And the Lord says, no, God's not going to owe you anything. Um, that's in the story. But most powerfully, I think what is in the story is the summation of all of these questions. How can anybody be saved? Have we done enough to be saved? Are you pleased with us? Have we given up enough? And Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I'm going to die a death. You cannot die. And I am going to be uh, your Passover. I'm so thankful for, for that. I'm so blessed by that. I'm so uh, encouraged that even the disciples who would give all faced this issue on the way to Jerusalem and allowed us to learn from their questions their worries uh, and the Lord impressed it upon uh, John Mark to write it down as Peter told him the story that we can see the lesson of the dangerous entanglement of wealth the vanity of the religious the traps that are on both spectrums how the things of this world war against our spiritual potential and yet um, without resources um, it doesn't matter that much how big your burden is uh, and so the church is blessed by those who resource the church. Um, people can have a burden to do any number of things. Say, I, I, I had a burden to do something. Well, if I don't have any resources, um, my frustration will be spent before I even, <laughs> my, my abilities will be spent before I, I'll, I will burn myself out just trying to find the resources. And then God comes along and oftentimes through the blessings that are in the church, through the blessings of putting our lives together with other people, through the blessings of giving in uh, offerings in, uh, in a central uh, house of vision and calling, uh, anointing and ministry, uh, the resources enable everything else. Because if one thing, if I've learned one thing in uh, the years is that emotion that was in my heart as a young preacher where I was so desperate to do something for God. That emotion is not enough. Um, even now I can look back and I can I can remember times when I, I, I just, I would be at special events and services and I would just weep uh, before the Lord. And I have fond and beautiful memories of that. I wanted so much to do great things for the Lord. Um, and then I started trying. <laughs> and there's one thing that came through. That emotion is not enough. That desire was not enough. The Lord had to put me with other people. The Lord had to join me to other hearts. The Lord had to knit me to a community. And the work happened not out of me weeping and crying. That was a moment of calling for me, yes, but emotion's not enough. It put me together with people who knew how to cook, <laughs> people who knew how to give, people who knew how to turn the lights on at the church. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. 
people who knew how to do the practical. Because in the house where Jesus is speaking, you need more than Mary. You also need Martha. Because Jesus is doing more than speaking. Jesus is also going to eat. Does that make sense? And the tension between the two personality types is Martha is, we've got to feed these people. Jesus gets hungry too. And Mary is, oh, I want to sit at his feet. And Jesus comes down on the side of that passion for the kingdom of God. But Jesus still ate dinner in the house. Um, this, this tension lives within us. And we have to make sure that all the blessings we have, the gifts we have, the resources we have is not a replacement for what God does in us, but it is an inspiration for us to surrender, to resource, to bless, and not just financials, but our time and our spirit, our talents and our efforts. So I told you I was going to talk a little bit more about the practical. Um, one of the things that uh, I, we are we want to do as a church is have as far a reach as possible. And uh, in order for us to do that, we have to take our, our, our online services as seriously as we can. We have to um, put out as good a product as possible um, in order to have as much reach as is possible. It's easy for us to say, oh, well, you know, if they don't want God, then, well, aren't you glad God didn't say that about you? Because there was a day when he was reaching for you and the church was reaching for you. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and we have areas that uh, we need volunteers. Let me, let me just use one as a teaching example here. Um, we don't have, we need camera operators. Now you don't have to know how to set the camera. You don't know how to pick the shutter speed. All that's done. All you have to do is be able to keep the frame of the camera on the person singing or speaking. That's all you have to do. There's no other skill set required. But because we don't oftentimes ask you, you don't know. Well, um, in this area, I'm asking you, um, this is one of the easiest ways to support the larger reach of the church. Uh, we need people who will help with these things to have as, as large a reach uh, <clears throat> as possible. Um, we have about as many people watch as we have people in the building. If you look at all our outlets, because um, we stream in various outlets, <clears throat> it matters. The better product we produce, the more people watch because it's easy for them to be a part of it and to feel <coughs> is it the answer no but it's one way the church can say we care about the community and so if in areas like that if 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 any of you would be willing to help we need you um, right now we only have one or two people who uh, operate a camera and again you don't have to understand the technology involved all that's set you just have to be able to move the we'll keep like me in the frame you see what i'm saying it's all you that's all you have to do we need you um we can we have to think bigger we have to think about the city um we have to think about people who will watch um uh the lord will help us do it so um, think about that pray about that if you're not involved in serving i want to invite you the greatest journey uh, adventure of your life and that is uh, serving the kingdom of god and working toward uh, 
what God would do in this community. Uh, all right. I love you all. Let's pray. And uh, I will dismiss you. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here. We want to take a moment. We want to reflect on the passage we read. Thank you. Power in the word of God. There's power in the instruction of the scripture. Uh, we read it carefully. We read it as students. Uh, we don't just use it as a bully pulpit. We, we uh, humble ourselves to it. We apply it. We don't add to or take away from it. And when you live that way, it has consequences. Um, and so we strive to have the courage to face that uh, and to have the humility to face that and to humble ourselves before the scripture rather than passing judgment upon upon the scripture. We hunger to know you, O Lord. We hunger to have a church that has as far as a reach as possible, not to brag. Um, we don't brag. Uh, we make a point of not bragging. Um, we we had a record. We had record Sunday on on Easter, and I don't think any of our leaders posted it anywhere. We we don't, including me. I mean, we're not trying to have an ego fest here, Lord. We want to, in some way, be a faithful and a fruitful uh, body uh, of Christ, a, a faithful and a fruitful team of laborers in the field. We don't want to make this about ourselves. We don't want to have any personality driven. Um, we don't believe that we have to be exalted. Um, we very much want your will to be done among us. Um, and we want your anointing to be upon us. Uh, not again for the exaltation of the flesh, but for the glorification of your name in the earth and in the city. In Jesus name, we pray and we thank you today. God bless Amen. you all. God Love bless you. you, Pastor. God bless you, my sister. Y'all have a great week. Have uh, a good evening, on. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.